When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast all about giving you simple and sustainable strategies to help you live your happiest, healthiest and most peaceful life. Well, in today's podcast, we talk about all things dogs and how great they are for mental health. I interview Grisha Stewart, who's an author, international speaker, mathematician, and professional dog trainer, and she specializes in dog reactivity and canine empowerment. She is the creator of the Grisha Stewart Dog School for Professional Dog Training Education Online. We discussed how dog training can give us valuable life lessons for managing our own mental health. And we had a great conversation around how dogs can experience depression and anxiety and how we can help them, and in helping them, we help ourselves. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can listen to exclusive ad-free content on Patreon, and this month's bonus episode is all about how to wire out any harmful effects from COVID and long COVID. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dr. Lee for more information. And as always, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please always consult with your personal physician or appropriate medical personnel for medical issues. And on to today's podcast. Before we dive into today's podcast, I want to tell you about an exciting new project, one many of you have been asking for, which is now open for enrollment, my NeuroCycle Certified Facilitator Program. This program is a four-day in-person training with me where you'll learn the fundamentals of my theory and the NeuroCycle so you can use these strategies with your clients and to elevate your coaching business or private practice. Our first training is August 3rd through 6th and takes place in Dallas, Texas. When you become a certified facilitator, you'll join our exclusive directory, which goes out to hundreds of thousands of people looking for extra help with their mental health. This means that finding clients will become even easier and you'll become part of our private network of facilitators where you can meet and connect with like-minded individuals, get help and have access to many great resources. Spots are extremely limited and already filling up. So if you're interested, just go to neurocycleinstitute.com for more details and to register for our first training. And for just a few days, we are offering 25% off. Just use the code INAUG25, that's I-N-A-U-G-25. The link and details will be in the show notes. Grisha, I'm so excited to be talking to you. I love what you do. I love your book. I love your approach to training animals and and dogs. We are dog lovers. We have two little puppies and I know I'm going to get some great, throw throw some examples of them in along the way, but thank you for agreeing to do this interview and helping us with our mental health by what you do. So welcome. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. I see dogs as at this point in my career as sort of the vehicle through which I can communicate to other people to have empathy and kindness and how to be in the world and how we learn. And so there's, you know, different lenses you can look at at that through, but dogs are really my vehicle for for communicating that to people. 
I love that you actually say that you talk about how our humanness is actually sort of almost activated by understanding dogs more. So that's kind of how I interpreted what you were saying. And I'm always trying to encourage people to just, you know, be human. We just got to be more loving and human and we can learn that so much from our dogs. A little comment that my, my son always says, is he, you know, dogs are so much nicer than humans often too. <laughs> I think often we say that kind of thing, you know. They, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's, we have a more complex brain, of course, but the same, the same things that cause trauma in people that then lead to dysfunctional behavior are the same. It's related in dogs. It's the same exact phenomenon. Dogs have mental health problems too. And we are used to dogs being kind to us, but fortunately we can't understand what they're saying a lot of the times. So I think if we really could hear their words, we would actually not really assume dogs are so even keel as they appear to a lot of people. If you look at body language, there's all lots of really subtle signals that dogs are, say, uncomfortable with kids coming up to hug them. And because the dog is tolerating it and isn't growling or showing overt aggression with the dog, they assume that the dog is fine, but the dog can still be uncomfortable. No, that makes so much sense. And I love that because that really means we should be tuning in to understand our animal's behavior so that we don't get frustrated and irritated or overreact or you know pull them away from their child they actually are also thinking things through and this oh wow there's like so much here okay so let's quickly start at the beginning because this is a fascinating question you're a mathematician by profession and you've you now have transitioned very successfully into being honestly a foremost leader when it comes to behavioral management and, and dogs so how does that happen and how did you get here Yeah. So about 20 years ago, it was when I switched from being a mathematician to being a dog trainer. And at that time I was, I had just transitioned out of graduate school to, uh, to get the PhD. I, I paused in that to go teach at a community college because I love teaching. And so I realized that actually, if I got a PhD, that I would be teaching a higher level of math, but fewer humans in a way. And so I really wanted to interact with people at the level where it mattered more in their life. So I started teaching there, but I went back to my, my professor to major, you know, my advisor to tell him that I was switching into actually being a dog trainer. And it was kind of like, if I had decided to tell him I was becoming a streetwalker or something. Like, where is the relationship? Yeah. Right. So, but it's, it's problem solving, it's critical thinking. So all of that, the puzzle of behavior is fascinating to me. It's, there's so many variables to it. There's so much sort of squishiness and there's also so much that's predictable. So if you look at, at the, the behavior, any behavior you're seeing, there's almost always some function of that behavior. There's a reason why the dog is doing what they're doing. And it may not be clear. It may be that you have to sort of dig through many different layers, but there's always a reason. It's, it's, it was taught to the dog in some way. Mm, that's fascinating. And, you know, that's something I say in, in the work that I do is the way that we show up is coming from what we've gone through and what we've been exposed to and all that kind of stuff, which is wired into your brain and then over your mind. We, and it's the same thing with, 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 with animals. So, you know, talk a little bit more about then how can we, what is the best way to approach this? I mean, how do we deal, deal with this kind of thing, learning to read our dogs, learning to read their behaviors? How, I know you can't teach everything mm-hmm. now and you've got incredible tools, but what would be a great kind of almost start to this process to help people to understand how to understand their dogs better. And I'd love to add on to that, 
we all know the benefits of having a pet. It's just so incredibly good for our mental health. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that as well. Okay. So I would say this: the starting point is really the same as trying to communicate with any other being. It's curiosity. How is this for you is one of the questions that there's a trainer named uh, Suzanne Clothier, who's, who's taught on, on my school a little bit. And how is this for you? It's just asking the dog that question, not in words, right? Not, not through telepathy, but looking like watch their experience and filming it is really helpful. And then you can play back in slow motion and taking away our preconceptions about things like dominance or, you know, the reason, the stories we tell, right? So just as with human mental health, there are, there are stories about a situation that keep us from actually seeing all the perspectives. And one of the biggest myths in dog training is this idea of dominance, that the dogs are there to sort of take over our households. So we have pretty much all of the control in a dog's life. They're, they're sort of like doing what they can to get some of it. So they can say like, can I access the outside more? Like, can I be on a soft surface? You know, like they're just kind of vying for their basic needs. They're not trying to like take over your checkbook. Hilarious. So, yeah. Although I'm pretty sure sometimes my dog would appreciate that because, you know, or at least a credit card so she can go shopping. Exactly. Definitely an important part of it. <laughs> That's right. But looking at behavior really as a, as a function of the environment and that the environment as well as, you know, the individual dog, of course, but looking to see like, how is this individual responding in this environment? And if I change something else, or something in here, does it change their behavior? So that's one piece is curiosity. So bringing that in. The other is that pretty much everything in terms of aggression is solved when an animal feels safe. That's my mission. If you're someone who's looking for the newest cutting edge products to push your brain and body to the outer limits of what's possible, or a wellness enthusiast who just wants to feel more like yourself, then you should stop what you're doing and check out Newtopia, the most powerful bespoke nootropics on the market today. These nootropic stacks are taking the industry by storm because they're safe, legal, and highly effective. Every stack was formulated by a man who's the most advanced brain chemist and nootropics formulator alive today. Even better, every formula is customized for your you based on your strengths, weaknesses, and goals. So you get exactly what you need. Taking the right formulas at the right times can help you focus intensely, block out distractions, reduce stress and anxiety, enhance your creativity, boost your memory, and a whole lot more. You'll be amazed by how quickly they work. Within 15 to 30 minutes, you should begin to feel and notice the mental effects. These formulas also come with a full one-year guarantee, so there's zero risk to you to try them yourself. If you feel like you're not fully maximizing your potential, both personally and professionally, then you owe it to yourself to try Newtopia's formulas. They're a total game changer. Simply go to newtopia.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use Dr. Leaf 10 to receive up to 50% from your first order. Again, that's newtopia.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. That is so, you know, and I'm glad you paused on that because that is so important that, you know, we talk about humans feeling safe, but they, the dogs also need to feel safe, you know, and that's something that we, they're not being naughty if they're scared. They are <laughs> right. scared because they don't feel safe. So, so, so let me give you maybe a little example with our dogs because we've got two little puppies that are a year old. They've been, they were bought, they literally, we got them within 24 hours of each other, two little Shih Tzu mixes. One's a full Shih Tzu mixed with a Chihuahua and the other one is Shih Tzu with a bit of Maltese and the, the Shih Tzu Maltese is as sweet as anything, as friendly as anything. 
loves people seems to like nothing freaks her out but the little boy he is he gets he'll bark he's a barker and he's definitely will she'll run up to someone and he will look at them and maybe even growl at them but never really go for them so too and they've had the same loving handling all you know created the same safe environment sleep on the bed so it's so interesting you know and i say this for two reasons to give an example to maybe you can you know guide us through something to help us understand more about reading their behaviors and why the other thing is these two little dogs that they are thinking they have a mind they are thinking they are they are feeling they're making choices just like we do as humans and they're so different but they've had the same it's the same upbringing, the same handling. Like I've got four kids, same thing, and they're all so different. But we don't right. always associate <laughs> our 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 pets with humans in terms. And I know they're not humans, but they, as you say, right. they they still got a lot of there's still a lot of things we need to look at in a similar way. Right. We, we share a very similar nervous system. Of course, there's a lot on top of that, as you know. But so. In terms of of your two dogs responding very differently, one is one thing is that of course every being is an individual, and so that that's one seed that goes into the picture. Right? Is uh, are they genetically more predisposed to fight or flight as their sort of options? But it's not just genetics. It's like in the womb, did they shift away from something and felt a relief or satisfaction? Did they move? toward it and and get it to you know shift away. So learning happens like way early. And so and then the moment that they're out, even though their general lives are the same, their individual experiences are different. So, you know, one may have or they may have been walking together, but one of them stepped on a thorn or, you know, somebody picked that one up when it was in a fear period and the other one hadn't quite gotten into the fear period. So it, it all it's different. And so the key is then for that individual, what looks like safe. And so usually we, with dogs, we, may, we, we change that through space and time. So it's a little sci-fi, but basically we give them more room, <laughs> give them more room and we give them more time to navigate the scenario, which is not so different from people, right? But like street dogs in Kosovo show very little aggression. So there, I have a, a friend who from Portugal who went to go observe the dogs there, no humans around. And how are those dogs interacting with each other? And unlike dogs that you would expect in the city where they're kind of snarling at each other on leashes and all that, you don't get that there because they have so much space and there's no humans that are saying you have to go out in these straight lines on the sidewalk or the, you know avoid the street. And, and so curves, they like to sort of arc around things to see if they're safe. So a lot of the human constructs are, are not good for them in terms of their fear. And so they do better without those things. And I'll say one more thing before I'll pause for air for you, which is that I have this sort of pet theory that that humans would be less reactive if we weren't all in these straight lines and sort of forced to encounter each other in ways, you know, in the ways that we do in cities. So I live in the country and I appreciate the fact that I can walk however I want to walk. So that's so amazing. So the restrictions of life that affect us as humans be pushed into you've got to get up at this time work at this time these hours you can't buy phasic sleep you can't which is all part of of development um it, we can't avoid a lot of those things but it's, it's a, hard we'll do another it's another ca- uh, casualty of, of capitalism honestly yes so. it, yeah you 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 you're quite right and it's and yeah. but yet we have so it's happened but we haven't learned how to manage the process so there's a disconnect right. between 
you know, a lot of the work I do is helping people manage the mismanagements of things in their life that they've just never been exposed to. And it sounds so much, you know, I'm using my example because, you know, a lot of what you're saying sounds so much like the sort of things that I would say to people. And I'm stressing that because it's mental health for the dog and for the human. And yeah, so I love that. That's incredible. I know my daughters were in Mexico City recently, and they said that everyone's got dogs off leashes. No dogs fight. The dogs listen. They don't run all over the place. It was like the most incredible experience for them. And they said everyone's got a pet. No one's fighting. So is that the same sort of thing? Their restrictions aren't, the dogs don't run in the road. They're not getting hit Mm -hmm. by cars. They're not fighting with each other. They they're coming when the owners, and it's all of them. So it's a whole societal kind of thing. I don't. I'm, I'm sure you're probably aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So in in Sweden, for example, the dogs are exercised a lot more. They get so many more of their needs met that people are actually paying a lot more attention to what do these dogs need. And therefore, when I go there, they, the levels of aggression that they're getting is way lower than what we're getting in the states. I did actually go teach in Mexico City, and I'm not sure that I I saw the sort of that. Okay, that yeah. So just so you know, I. Pretty much only saw dogs on leash, but it might have been a particular Maybe area. Years. Yeah, was, could have been. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the 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 sort of modern times we tend to sort of put restrictions on dogs that are then against their best interests. On the other hand, of course, we can't just have you know dogs going around biting people. That you know that's part of the reason why we ended up putting them on leashes in the first place. Is there were sort of you know. Packs and also that and they like that. that they don't run off into the road and that they come right. back when you call them and you know right. so there's all those things which you're supposed to train. I mean, we took these dogs for all that little training at PetSmart and that kind of thing, and they still tend they're better now. They're getting older, but I also didn't want to ever restrict my dogs to the point where they were so controlled because somehow mm-hmm. instinctively, and please tell me if I'm wrong, to control the dogs, you don't allow them to feel safe and that space thing mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And so, the, what's the balance between Keeping your dogs being, you know, loving them and wanting them to be dogs and not to be controlled every single thing of them, every moment staying on leashes and all that kind of stuff, add to the freedom of being a dog. (laughs) And to being realistic that we live in a place where not everyone's dogs are going to be nice and they might attack yours and it's not, you don't know what's going on there. How do we navigate this thing? It's complex, right? So yeah, so I'm throwing uh, a really complex question and getting you solve it in five minutes. You know, that's right. I'll, I'll get right on that. So, but basically, let's go back to that though, because it's a great question, and it's it's not so different from sort of boundary setting among humans, right? That there are areas in which I'm going to be strict with my dogs in terms of. If we're walking in the city, I'm going to use a 15 foot leash or a five meter leash. So they've got freedom, but they don't have enough freedom that they can go running into the road. And so, and I'm watching their behavior to say, are they wanting to go this way? Do I have time to do that? Yes, I do. And so most of the walk is actually their choice of where to go. I make sure not to walk too far. If I have a short period of time, like a lunch break, I'm not going to walk 30 minutes in one direction so that I have to go back as quickly as I can to get back in time. So I'll sort of walk, watch the path so that I can let the dog lead as it were most of the time, because it's their walk. So things like that. So looking at, are there things that I can train with positive reinforcement so that the dog is offering that behavior and it's their choice with the caveat that I think people don't recognize that if we, that we can also harm through positive reinforcement, there's way more harm that can happen through leash corrections and punishment but also it is a type of 
control that steers dogs away from meeting their most core needs if we are too sort of addicted to the game of positive reinforcement training. So I definitely use it. I use it for all of the things like grooming care, teaching dogs to present their teeth or their paws for, you know, for care, teaching them to, you know, be comfortable getting up on a scale, all of those things, great use of positive reinforcement. But for for people whose dogs have sort of, and I'm guilty of this, which is why I can say this, but whose dogs sort of become little robots where they'd rather pay attention to their human and they just sort of stare at the person as they walk along rather than engaging with the environment. We've taken away their 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 natural reinforcement there as a being. And it's sort of like putting kids in front of a video game or, or social media and they're getting some of their needs met, but it's not really the real needs that are getting met. And so that's, so we want to make sure that we're, we're training in a way that's really need focused. What does the dog need? And are, is there a way to navigate that? What do they need? What do I need? And finding that behavior and reinforcement that works for both parties. Okay. And that's adaptive because we don't just all live, you know, we don't, we live in cities and we have cities, not, and we have countryside, so it's more difficult if you're living in an apartment with your dogs and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it's looking at the need and the love you want to give the dog and then balancing. Now, you have a lot of programs and things to help, an academy and all kinds of things. So before we get to that, I wanted to just ask you, because I'm saying that so people think, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? In 30 minutes, you can't <laughs> yeah, teach everyone how to. Please don't just grab a 15-foot leash and go off with it. Like it actually exactly, is a skill exactly. so how to do that. That's how I wanted yeah. to say that there's very specific guidelines and things. Something that just before we started, you and I kind of dived in a little bit and you spoke now about positive reinforcement and then there's obviously negative reinforcement. So, in, and, and I have listened to having dogs and listening to people talking about this. It's kind of confusing. It's not regulated. There's some people that insist this is the way and that way. And, and so I understood if I've, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I've understood that the dog training world is one of a bit of unregulated kind of thing, but instinctively. It's, it's a little bit of the wild west. Yeah. A bit of the wild west. But yeah. the instinct is to move towards kindness because, and what does that look like? So please take it from there. Right. So there, there's certainly lots of data. There's mountains of evidence that say choice-based learning is better. So working on empowering the animal that that it's a, a basic need is to be able to control something in their environment. And there's there's definitely been a shift in the modern dog training world to more and more positive reinforcement and beyond positive reinforcement to this concept of empowerment. And it's a lot of the training that you see that's more kind of militaristic, like there's a, you know, a choke chain or a prong collar where the the person kind of snaps the leash and makes the dog do things. If I were to, well, I'll say two things. One is that a lot of it did come from the military. So a lot of post-World War II, a lot of people came back from, from that experience, having used dogs there as tools to work for, for them and therefore then making the dogs do what they wanted them to do. And then they brought that to, back to society, you know, the countries that they were from, to the pet world. And it's not actually needed for military dogs, it turns out, and it's definitely not needed for the, the pet world. And so it's it's very similar to the, to parenting, really, how that's shifted from smack the child, you know, speak when spoken to all of that. Very hard disciplinary. Yeah. Right. To this place where now we're embracing emotions. We're feeling the full gamut of emotions and recognizing that kids just like adults have feelings and that those feelings are an expression of a need. And 
so there's no such thing as a needy dog. There's just unmet needs. And, and so finding out creative ways to, to work with that. And so I, I have very specific ways to do training and, you know, it's all on the website and, and such, but the really, the piece that I, I want to get across the most is that, is that, that core, like what drives us when we're interacting with our dogs. And so that's compassion that we have another being in front of us and that their needs are not more important than mine, but they're just as important. And, and there's always a way to, to get both of those needs met. And, you know, in super, super rare cases where the dog is suffering, you know, way too aggressive and there's no other family that can take them in that case, occasionally euthanasia is a thing and still in the world for behavior. I think um, once or maybe twice in my whole career, have I sort of interacted with, with clients who needed that, but generally speaking, and I would say actually, even then we're working on meeting the needs of the animal because the animal, those ones were, were suffering as well as the families, Right. And, and, and so there's always some way that we can, that we can meet a need and punishment. It's very reinforcing. It's very seducing for the person doing the punishing because temporarily, right. We experience relief. We, you know, the behavior has stopped. And, and so the key is to pull out of that situation and come up with a plan that the dog then isn't practicing the behavior and needs to be shut down, but actually in a space where they can practice different behaviors. So we call it replacement behavior and then learn that that's what gets their needs met. So they will shift gears if given the right opportunity, just like humans. I love how you've described that. So our little barky dog, we call him barky boy, who just gets so excited about anything that's different. And the other one just watches while he does the barking. I have seen that if we talk to him and explain it's okay and, you know, you don't have to, but it it still can be quite disruptive when you're on a business call and the dog starts barking because there's a sound outside that I don't know that sound, you Mm -hmm. know, so just in a simple thing, like something like that, where where he's immersed in love and he's, we, we would have to find a replacement kind of, Right. So what what else do you want him to do during that time? So I actually have a webinar about this topic. So it's called how to to zoom with your dog without losing your job. (laughs) How to zoom with your job without your dog without. I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah. I will surely watch that. (laughs) It's and, And so there's kind of two aspects to working with it. One is just how can we prevent it as much as possible? So chewies, they're in another room. You have somebody else handling them. There's a whole bunch of things on that side of it. And then there's the training piece of how can we teach the dog that in this scenario, what I want them to do is this other behavior, right? So finding a behavior that's incompatible with barking, like targeting his chin to a floor, like, or, or just sleeping or finding a toy or so anything besides for, for that. They're distracting. In other words, saying that you're barking up, but hey, he has a has a little chewy or here's your toy let's rather play with your toy that kind of thing kind of yeah except in the moment when you're in the zoom call is not really the time for training that's just sort of like management mode and unfortunately we can train them to bark more by them barking and then we pay attention to get them to be quiet because they were probably barking on some level for our attention and so watching right to make sure we're not giving them what they wanted for that behavior. So they want attention. And so can you call them every few minutes and give them a scritch to remind them you're still there so they don't have to then escalate? Mm, That's brilliant. I love that. Okay. So Nets, now this is a podcast about 
helping people manage their mind and the reason I really wanted you on is all the wonderful advice that you've really given and I'm and I'm and I just want people to go and see what you're offering because of we we love our dogs and just want, we want to be humane and make sure we do the right thing but at the end of the day we there's another question that's kind of paramount and that is these dogs give help our mental health so let's talk about mm-hmm. how we get so much joy and so much pleasure about with our dogs. I mean, just the other day, our little dogs just woke up and their hair was all squishy and they looked so cute. And the girls came, <laughs> two of my my kids are all adults now, but they work, three of them work for me. We're all in town at the moment taping because our studio is here. And they walked into the room and there, these two dogs just looked up and we all said, what would we do without these dogs? I mean, they just like, I can have the busiest time. I Just before I did this interview, I've had back-to-back interviews, went and just sat outside in the courtyard for 10 minutes with my dogs and just tickled their tummies and they look at you in love and I'm fine again. You know, let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that mental health side of, I mean, we can all relate to this. I mm-hmm. think everyone can relate, but as a professional, it'd be lovely for you to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the benefit of, of our pets and mental health. Sure. So one thing is that dogs, when we're petting them, that we actually get oxytocin and so do they. So as long as they're actually bonded to us. So just on a chemical level, right, we're helping each other. We co-regulate their heartbeats and ours have a, they sort of go into a similar pattern and breath rate. And so a mindfulness practice for me is the best way to, to work on mental health. It's the, the cornerstone of it. And so I do things like, and recommend things like meditating with your dog. So sitting there and paying attention to their breathing, because a lot of times when people try to pay attention to their own breath, then they try to control it. Right. And so, but if instead your hand is on your dog or you're just watching your dog and you're seeing their breathing and and recognizing that it's not regular, you know, it it will change. But to really just have that as a focus point is very grounding. I love that. I was also thinking, just as you're saying that, I was thinking of the little, uh, our little black Maltese, Shih Tzu Maltese. She's, she's tiny and at nighttime she snuggles, but she, her favorite thing is, when I actually put my hand like on her and there's something that bonds between her and us, like we both mm-hmm. need this little, as you're falling asleep, there's this little connection that happens and a little heart beating and she gives this little sigh and I feel such peace. And, you know, I, I mean, I know all these things about the brain and stuff, but when you were articulating that, that I realized that this is the kind of special little, like the little boy, he doesn't need that, but she really, she comes up and she's ready for that. As we go to sleep, let's have mm-hmm. this little bond and connection time and her little heart beating and so I think it's something what you've just described. It's it's really good for mental health, for peace, for calming down, mm-hmm. all those beautiful things. Yeah. And and can I, I'm going to circle back to when you were talking about your male dog in terms of yet another sort of hard to predict way that it's helpful to have dogs in our lives is as we put concepts on them, I, I think that we tend to treat dogs very similarly to how we treat our own inner child, either similarly or opposite, but it's it's related. And the better we learn to sort of provide for our dogs, the better we can provide for ourselves and vice versa. So as we you know learn one, we apply it to the other. And and so in terms of labeling, so one of the things that people in my field are are pushing toward Dr. Susan Friedman was one of them is the idea of not labeling our dogs. Oh, thank and you. So, I keep thinking about don't label humans either. So let's right, not label our dogs. Right. Yeah. And so twice in there, so you ha- had him as an, with an identity that he's the barky dog. Barky boy. Yeah. Right. And barky boy. And so I would have you just try the experiment of, of unlabeling him. Such so, a good idea. Right. And to think of, okay, what does he need right now? What's the function of this barking? 
So, and that's brilliant because when we, as soon as he barks, as soon as if you go up to him and you make eye contact, he loves making eye contact. So as soon as you just go down to his level, make eye contact, tickle his chin, it just stops immediately. There's like no, and then then he, then he turns into the sweet little boy. And then as soon as we turn our back on the Zoom meeting, it's bark, bark, bark for the attention. But I love that. So no labeling, like I tell everyone, don't label. So we shouldn't label him mm-hmm. at all. That's brilliant advice. And I'm yeah. so glad you said that because labeling limits right, in the human people. Field. Right, it's like the absolutely. worst thing because it puts them. So then everyone views that and then they see that. I can see just so you then see every time he barks, or, you know, that's bar- it, it becomes bigger than what it is. And then it's almost like our negative reaction. Keep quiet, keep quiet, be on the call or whatever. Or don't right. bark. He's picking that up, but it's actually reinforcing his behavior. Am I reading this correctly? Yes. Have I just done a whole psychoanalysis of me and my dog? <laughs> <laughs> yes, good job. <laughs> so we, so unlabeling <laughs> is the key there. So what would you, so, yeah, I'll wrap this piece and then go back forward again. But yeah, in terms of the, the barking, looking for the smallest piece of behavior that that he can do that predicts to you that he's actually looking for attention. So when you maybe put a little bell on him, so when you hear him come into your space, you can then call him over before he has a chance to bark or just, you know, set a timer and every so often, you know, have him come over and say, hi. I also really, this is one more tip for zoom zooming with dogs because I can't help myself. I teach this finger snap as a cue for nose targeting. So touching the dog's nose to your hand. So you, you snap your finger and then you present your hand. You, almost always the dogs will touch it and then you give a treat for that and it will build it up as a, as a routine. And so anyway, any so little habits. So that keeps them quiet as well. So the little snap, they touch your hand, you give them a treat and you've distracted them from the barking. Yeah. So it's it's sort of like they were headed down the, the snowy slope one way and you just at the point where they could still control the sled, you had, you called them over here. So if they're already like zooming down the hill, right, they're already started the barking. That's not the time to do the snap touch, although you can, if it's an important meeting, but the idea is to sort of do it before that. So he can just develop Proactive. a new, right, exactly. So you end up with this sort of luge that points toward good behavior, if that uh, makes sense. Okay. So when you need it, you knew catching just before the barking or just as it, but you've already trained it in the, in a very comfortable space where he's just feeling, Hey, I'm always here. I'm always here. It's okay. This mm-hmm. is good. Let's connect. So when he does start barking, for example, or whatever dog, mm-hmm. they've already been trained. They'll recognize that it's mm-hmm. habituated. It's like any, mm-hmm. it's like humans as well. When we have automatized habits, we'll move back into mm-hmm. those. So when right. he's triggered, we try and counter the trigger with something he already is familiar with. Is that correct? Right. Exactly. And the triggers are just cues for behavior, right? So we can we can teach our own cues and make them more obvious to the dogs. So, and I love to use environmental cues. So they walk into the space. The first thing they do is whatever, lay down or, you know, so finding finding ways to remind them without it being you makes it easier to do you know, a Zoom call at the same time. Rest is essential for both our brain and our body. It's an important part of the balanced lifestyle. Personally, when I find myself with a few minutes to spare, I love to unplug for a bit de-stress and lose myself in best fiends. This amazing puzzle game is one of my favorite ways to treat my brain to a much-needed recharge. It's like a mental spa day, but one I can enjoy wherever I go. Best fiends, that's friends without the R, is a mobile puzzle game that is free to download and super engaging. The game features tons of cute characters that can help you solve thousands of fun puzzles. The more you play, the more characters you collect. And the more you win, the more challenges you face. 
I personally love games like these fiends because they can trigger a double dose of dopamine in the brain, which is otherwise known as the brain's favorite feel-good juice, and they can be a great way to build the brain through learning, which increases our mental resilience. I'm currently on level 710 called the Marine Garden and I'm getting closer to saving the land of minutia from all those bad slugs. I personally love to play during my mental health breaks while writing my new book. It's one way I treat myself and give my brain some love. And with thousands of levels, you can play Base Fiends as long as you want and never get bored. No wonder the fun puzzle game has had over 100 million downloads. Download Base Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. Plus earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, best fiends. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's great. Oh, this little a little boy, he uh, Simba, it's called Simba. The Simba Nala Lion King, so that whole Africa thing All that right. we've got going. As we walk up to him, and this is interesting, I'm wondering just from a dog trainer perspective, he, he immediately from a tiny puppy, he'll throw himself dramatically on the floor and lie on his back and wait for a tummy tickle. But it's so <laughs> like you walk, as he sees you, he'll do it now. As soon as I come out, he'll see me, he'll get so excited and he'll, dramatically lie over wait for the tickle <laughs> even when he's barking we'll go up to him and that's immediately he'll say okay I'll, I'll keep quiet and he'll go over for his tickle so i'm thinking like that's really what he loves i must use more of that in the barking kind of thing mm-hmm. right it's, it's obviously Try a, to intercept it yeah because that's how he's interacting with us he's saying i love you so much because he won't do it with people he doesn't know it's only with mm-hmm. the people he loves and knows that he gets this complete Mm-hmm. lie on the back but it's so dramatic i mean it's, it's from standing to this big huge dramatic on the floor i'm here you know pay attention it's really it's very cute right it's so cute and 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 just like with human behavior sometimes it's there's a, a super easy thing you can do instead so it's possible with your dog for example that you could put a dog bed next to your desk up at your height. So there's like little stairs and your dog is essentially sitting on your, you know, a desk or not really your desk, but next yeah, to but it. Right next to you. Right. And-, and so they have a way of just easily asking for your, your attention. Right. So if they were under your hand, you would pet them automatically. You wouldn't even have to think about it. Uh, and that'll keep them calm and not going off unless there's right. a sound that they really, but you've trained them. Mm-hmm. So there's a sound that triggers them mm-hmm. with the training. You can try and bring mm-hmm. them back in and calm them down. Right. So, so yeah, like I said, effort. there's more details in that in the webinar itself. In the but webinar. yeah, that'll give you some tools there. Oh, that's amazing. No, this is this has been incredible. And it's just like just how many people are over the COVID pandemic have got pets and how this is this is one of the not I have many questions, but it would be interesting to comment on how these kids are these kids are kids, our dogs are kids. <laughs> Literally our dogs are like our kids, are going to have this attachment thing because they've had their their owners, their parents, their Pets, right. their pets around all the time. And now they've got to deal with not being with you all the time. I mean, it's when mm-hmm. I go into studio, the my dogs are used changing. to me. Yeah. It's like I've got, when I go away from them, it really just, they want me, they want to be with me all the time. And that's what a lot of people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, what advice, and we can wrap with this question what advice can you give to our, what do we call them, our COVID dogs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> COVID um, puppies. Yeah. COVID uh, puppies, or the, you know, the, 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 when they've got to now learn to not be around the human as much as they're used to being around the human. And how do they deal with that? Help right. them, to help them to deal with that. So, yeah, separation anxiety is, is very common. One of the things that, that I sort of accidentally do in my house is just to be really forgetful. So, I leave the house and I've forgotten you know, my keys and I go back in and I've forgotten something else that I go back in. And so my dogs are so used to the fact that I probably have forgotten something and, and, and I'll be right back that they don't have any separation anxiety. None of them ever have, but that protocol is essentially that. So you start with, 
you know, little bits of separation of just reaching, you know, your hand for the door and then you sit back down again and, and building up time. So they have that expectation that it's okay to be alone. And I'm not going to give too much more of an answer here because I, I could only separation anxiety is complex and it's, it's one complex. Of those, you don't want to do it. You want to do it justice. I get exactly. It, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, like, here's how you fix trauma in five words or less. Oh gosh, no, that doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I can, if you don't mind, I can, I can mention, we do have a free webinar coming up for separation anxiety, actually. Please go ahead. What, what people tell people how they can get hold of you, your resources, what they can do, because I just want people to get your stuff so that we can all be better doggy parents. Oh, thank you. So my, my website is grishastewart.com. There's a school there. You can click on it. And the, at the Academy, we have over 80 classes and growing new classes every month from different instructors, not just me. All of my favorite people from around the world as other professionals, other authors. I've got three books and lots of the authors have, or the other folks have great books out there. And upcoming, we have, actually, this is in the past, but big feelings. It's how to, to deal with the big feelings that are around having a dog with reactivity. So you actually might want to go to that one. Who knows? And then the other is antecedent icebergs. So changing things that happened before behavior and how to address that. We've got classes for recall. We've got classes for leash walking and just pretty much everything coming when called and and the technique that I developed, which is called BAT. Yes. And quickly, so what does that stand for? And can you give a one minute overview of that and people can then go to your resources to learn more? Sure. So BAT is behavior adjustment training, and it's a technique to work on reactivity. So aggression, frustration, and fear. And there's the BAT book is on my website, but also BAT 101, which is our intro class and just really lots of resources for supporting you. So we've got a community of what I call diamond members. So the diamonds are folks who can attend any classes that they want for just a low rate, which is great. Or you can get things individually as well. And my mission really is is this concept of of empathy and really approaching it from that side. And so there are lots of classes on there as well about humans. We have one called How to Human for Dog People. So if you like the kind of thing I was talking about, it's on there. So, yeah. I love that, How to Human. I saw that and I actually wanted to ask you about that. And so you prompted me with that. So it's an actual webinar to help you to be a better doggy parent. Is that what, what it's about? No, it's actually, it's a, it's a six week course on how to, for dog people on how to deal with the border collie in their head. So it's a mental health course for people who have dogs and understand about dog behavior, but need the bridge to apply what they know to human behavior. And so a lot of it is, is finding out the various resources or sharing the various resources I know, like nonviolent communication, tapping, let's see, some neuroscience stuff, and just various mindfulness, various things that if you look at it through the lens of dog training, then it builds a bridge to these types of modalities that people might not be aware of. Fantastic. So that is for the humans as opposed to for the dogs, but it also makes you a better is it, is it, is it as well? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it always just, helps. Yeah. What they always feed each other. Okay. But that one's specifically for humans to help them with mental health. And, right. but you're doing it through the lens of, of thinking of about a different view through thinking right. of dog training. The, the border collie in our head. Yeah. So kind of. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. This is amazing. Well, thank you so much for your insight and wisdom and what you do. It's just such an important thing. And I'm just glad there's some sort of coherent picture coming because you hear so many different things about dog training that, you know, the punishment side just sounds, it's, it's just so 
it sounds it's just it is cool and so i'm just glad you're bringing another beautiful way of helping us love our dogs and manage and give our dogs a good life so thank yeah, you so it's much good to know it's possible and i really appreciate your podcast i listened to one of the ones on attention recently and it's just it's great and i really appreciate the work you do thank you so much well i'm sure we'll be connecting again because i'm sure this is going to generate lots of good questions that people want to hear more so thank you for joining me today thank you I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.